welcome to the MindChimp Podcast. Tracy, welcome to the MindChimp Podcast. How are we doing? Very well, thank Danny. How are you? I'm wonderfully well. I'm wonderfully well. <laughs> Obviously, other than attacking the um, the fly, what was flying around here, you know, that is <laughs> that is a real struggle. But other than that, I'm all good. The sun's shining, right? <laughs> it's obviously a fly that wants to be famous. Well, it's made it. It's made it. Whether yeah. it'll make it to the end or not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> the mind chimp fly. <laughs> Fair enough. It's, you know, it's famous already. So I guess before I even get into the show, um, I tend to ask my guests um, what their tagline was. So, you know, what what's the tagline? What, summarize, what summarizes you as a person? What would yours be? So I know you gave me warning on this, but actually I must say it's pretty pretty tricky because I didn't want to do anything boring because if anything you are you are the opposite of boring, Danny. So um, I knew I'd just be letting you down. Um, I actually went with the curious space traveller, um, which I think for me I've always been uh, since a, I was a child just curious about everything, um, and I think Google's amazing because it, ma- it means I can answer almost every question I have on the planet. Um, Space traveling for me is um, just a willingness to go uh, into like places or go to destinations that people may not have gone before. Um, and I get really excited about a kind of pioneering or kind of just experimenting with things where I don't know the answer and I don't know what the result's going to be. So that's what I'm going with. I'm going with curious space traveler. I love it. I love it. I think that perfectly sums you up, actually. Um... <laughs> Thanks, Danny. <laughs> so... so... What I need you to do for me first is I need you to pick four numbers. So this is numbers from one to a hundred, any four you like. Any four numbers. Okay. 16. Yep. Uh, 44. Okay. Um, 67 and 88. Perfect. We shall come back to them a little bit later on down the line. Okay. 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 So I guess when, you know, when you was in school, Tracy, and, and, um, you know, the teacher used to say to you, Trace, what do you want to be when you grow up? What What did you used to say to the teacher? <laughs> so I thought I was going to end up in the medical profession, actually. Um, it ranged from kind of being a doctor, but I think maybe a lot of kids um, want to be doctors. I don't know. Maybe... I, maybe that was just me. Um, then I wanted to be a physiotherapist. Um, and then I actually ended up um, studying for a master's in psychology. So I was always just really fascinated by the human body, um, the brain. Um, I just find human beings incredibly fascinating. Um, so I kind of followed, uh, in some ways, my childhood dream. Okay. Okay, cool. And I guess the last final warm-up question before we get into it is i'm gonna say some random words to you and i want you to tell me what comes to mind when i say these words okay Okay. just like kind of freud on the couch yep free association okay go for it nailed it (laughs) um okay so the first one is culture people okay l and d performance okay um this is kind of two or three words, but sky, sky's L and D function. Innovative. Okay, and the last one is leadership. Critical. <laughs> okay, smooth. I like it. I like it. So I guess, you know, for my listeners, obviously we I kind of came across you, I think it was thanks to JV James, and then since then I like to think we've been friends. But 
I was thinking maybe some of my listeners don't know who you are. So maybe it could be quite handy if you could um, give us a bit of a whistle-stop tour kind of from well, who you are and kind of where you've come from to where you are right now, I guess. Okay, whistle-stop tour. All right. Uh, of course, because I'm Australian, that's, a, that's actually a whistle-stop tour. Um, so I, uh, I'm Australian. Uh, I came to the UK uh, in 2008. Um, actually arrived on the tube on the 16th of October and the metro, the front page of the metro said jobless crisis worst in 16 years and I came over unemployed. So that was that was not boding well. Um, but let me let me backtrack a little bit. Um, ended up uh, going to university. Uh, I did uh, studied psychology. Uh, I actually did, ended up doing my master's degree in clinical child psychology and I specialised in obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, and I think that actually set me up really well for working in, in organisations. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that's why I ended up in leadership development. <laughs> but anyway, you can make that what you will. Um, so I never worked a day as a clinical child psychologist. Um, I kind of graduated, um, came to the London the first time back in 2000 um, and found my way very quickly into uh, organizational psychology kind of culture people um, and the role that kind of at the time it was sort of more personnel that kind of HR was playing went back to Australia um, did some work in um, consulting uh, found myself underground in diamond mines and coal mines in various countries and continents um, but that was actually where I built a lot of my, I guess, my confidence at being able to kind of take on problems and challenges that I didn't know the answer to, because when you're in consulting, you need to kind of say yes and then work out the answer. Um, so I did that. And I was at the time I was maybe 28 or 29 and I was working with leadership teams, mostly men, uh, kind of 40 plus. Um, and so you just have to hold your own um, and you have to kind of dive in. And so I think that was one of my real uh, kind of crucible roles in my career. And then I went in to work um, at a transport logistics company called Queensland Rail. And I got to work with a guy called Steve Drotter, who was the, he was kind of very sage-like, very wise, a great mentor. And I worked with him for 18 months. Never have I had more direct feedback, more critical feedback that I loved receiving than from him. Um, and so he was also, I felt very fortunate to have worked with him. And then I came to London um, back in 2008. And I, at the time, you kind of still, it was called smartphone, really. I had to go to an internet cafe to apply for jobs, <laughs> if anyone remembers that. Um, didn't have broadband in the home, nothing like that. And um, I applied for this job at this company called Sky. Um, and Sky doesn't really exist in Australia, so I didn't know what it was. Um, and I thought it would be a good practice run for the real job that I was going to get. Um, and here I am um, more than a decade on um, at Sky. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, I learned a little bit about it there considering I thought we were friends, but hey, <laughs> that's a word, eh? You've got to hold something back, Danny. I can't let you learn. <laughs> I know everything. <laughs> so, so I guess, yeah, so right now you find yourself at Sky and, you know, I think, I think Sky was probably put on the radar with um, L&D folk because of the approach of, you know, I like let's just call it what it is, agile, the agile approach, what you, I think you potentially brought that in, 
into an LD function space anyway. Um, yeah. But how? It was actually three years ago, three years ago, uh, in next month. Which so? Which is it's crazy. Been three years. Yeah. Yeah. What a journey. <laughs> I, I, I think just before we even get into that, I think it's crazy because most companies are still discovering this now, and are like, oh my god, this is a holy grail. And you're you kind of you know you're three years ahead in that respect. So where where did where did this come about? How did that even come around? I am, and it's not the holy grail. Uh, but we can, I'm sure, we'll cover that in uh, in this interview. Um, where did it come around? Uh, because we we had um, four like really obvious problems, um, and I think this is the the really the thing that whenever I speak to people, and I you know lots of people come to visit me at Sky, and and um, I get the opportunity to speak um, outside of Sky. And a lot of people are kind of caught by the word agile. And I try to spend quite a bit of time just bringing their attention back to what is the problem you're trying to solve. Because if you don't know the answer, if you don't know what the problem is that you're trying to solve, then how do you know that agile is the answer? Um, and so I'm really like not worried, but I kind of feel that if people haven't taken the time to understand what those problems are and they go after agile that they'll just be disappointed um, or it'll just feel like a big failure um, and for us it's actually been a really big success and I think one of those reasons is because we were really clear that we had these problems to solve um, one was uh, we were really working in silos and L&D is a classic silo and I had silos within the silo of L&D you know, like individual people responsible for individual things within L&D, which was a silo within another, like a center of expertise within HR, which was within the silo of HR. Which was, so it's just like, how can you ever, you know, make a massive difference to the people in your company if a single individual is kind of trying to, uh, to serve them? Um, I had a, the second one is it was around waste. I have this real obsession, it's very lean like actually rather than agile. But this thing around L&D, and I'm so guilty of this, I've been brilliant at this, where you just create these amazing programs that are full of so much good stuff, you know, it's just filled to the brim with shiny, bright things, um, you know, whether it be two days, five days, you know, two weeks, um, and you you feel so proud of this thing that you've created, but the somewhat disappointing thing or realization can be when you talk to people six months after they've had that experience and they can remember you know a two-hour morning session um, or they say that out of all of that that you gave to them the one thing that really made a difference was this small thing um, or the thing that most L&D people can relate to which is where you get to the end of uh, a program maybe it's run for a whole 12 months and they go and you go what's what's been the best thing you've got from this program and they go the network uh, and you think, oh my god! <laughs> like all of that effort into that amazing design, all of those external speakers, and the best thing was giving you time to spend with people who were already working with you uh, and freely available. Um, so waste is something that I'm really obsessed about. Um, another one is opinions. So a lot of L and D people can relate to this idea that you become an order taker if you're not careful, and that. A lot of people are quasi-experts in L&D. They come to you with the solution, not the problem. And so this battle of the opinion is something that um, I'd kind of really noted um, and wanted to kind of solve for. And the last one um, is pace. 
You know, you we are no longer in a world where you have the luxury of taking three months, let alone six months or 12 months to design anything um, for, for the business. So those were the four problems that we had. Um, then we naturally thought, like a lot of people, digital must be the answer to everything. And we quickly went past digital where you then get to Agile as the kind of key enabler of great digital solutions. And we were then much more interested uh, in Agile. Okay. So I think there's quite a bit to pick apart there. So I think, I guess, so obviously, you know, when we talk about making constant iterations and stuff like that, I'm assuming there's, there's been a lot of learning curves while you've been either, you know, putting, bringing this in and then actually kind of owning it and seeing where some of the, the trip ups and choke points are. Would you say that's been kind of your experience? Have you seen kind of the failures of where Agile is and, and yeah, like what, what, what's what been your biggest learning when trying to bring that in? Well, when you did bring that in? Oh, but there's been loads, Danny, <laughs> loads. <laughs> I think, I think, I mean, if you're anyone that's ever either had the experience of or is thinking of doing something radically different to what you're doing now, you have to be willing to fail. You have to be willing to make mistakes and you have to be a big enough person to go, that was a mistake, wrong decision, let's pivot, try something else. And you have to be, in, like you're leading the team, you have to be the person that takes responsibility for the decision um, and give them the space to then learn about what they would do differently. And I think that is something I've definitely found the last three years have been a really critical leadership experience. Um, so I've had great job experiences in the past where I've learned a lot uh, or learned from other people, but this one has been how to lead people through change um, and how not to lead people through change, <laughs> how to get it wrong. Um, we have, uh, on one occasion, we spent four weeks doing a back-to-back -back sprint on a graduate development product, which was already double than what we would normally spend. And at the end of it, we came out with nothing. Um, and that, that's our kind of lowest point that we've ever been at uh, as a team, um, because four weeks in Agile is a, is a long time. Um, and to come out with nothing is really that's the biggest form of failure that you can have. Um, and the reason we came out with nothing is because we, we lost track of what, who we were, we were in service of and what problem we were trying to solve, what pain point we were trying to, to make better. And we got caught up in our kind of L&D designs and, our, and in our own heads. Um, and that was, that was my fault, right? I, that it's all about having a clear goal. It's about making sure that the team... Um, have that clarity and on that occasion and I didn't um I didn't give them that clarity to give someone a Jabra speaker there you go thank you <laughs> so I guess kind of you know thinking about how you know kind of staying staying aligned to the you know the problem what you're trying to fix so Looking at from when you when you brought it into kind of where you are now, how much has ha how much has that process changed? You know, kind of are you still applying it kind of in a very um not vanilla, what's the word I'm looking for? This very kind of purest way, or have you kind of tweaked to work within the business of Sky? Yeah, no, we've massively tweaked. I mean, if I wind back the clock to three years ago, 
we didn't know what we were doing. Um, we had spoken to some of our IT colleagues who, by the way, were so helpful and totally willing for us to basically um, observe them and have them come in and help us. So they become our, became our biggest allies. But we had a team at the time, a team of eight, um, and we just started sprinting. Um, and with no idea of what we were going to do week to week, sprint to sprint. Um, and now if you fast forward, we've got, we use a lot of visual management. So we put a lot of our uh, kind of vision and our missions uh, on a whiteboard for everybody to see. It's about as much transparency as we can give, not just to ourselves, to our wider team, but also anyone. Um, just before this um, call with you, I was taking um, one of my colleagues who comes from the digital team through our vision board through our kind of work plan and it's just all there for people to see and that's a really key uh, ingredient of success it means that we can then release plan more easily our backlog is visible for everybody we have a um, you know a classic kind of kanban uh, to do doing done board that again is fully visible um, and we meet uh, kind of regularly each week we're doing planning meetings as a leadership team to look at our portfolio of work, making sure that the squads, I've um, got multiple squads of people are focusing on the work that can add the most value. And it's a very, it feels like a much more planful, thoughtful, focused on the end user, data-driven collaborative effort than it was from where we started three years ago but that has been three years of learning wow wow i think it sounds really cool in fact of just accountability as well as a function you kind of there's no hiding right i guess when it's all up in the open for everyone to see i really like that approach actually thinking about it i mean i think i think personally we could probably talk about just this agile journey in general for longer than you know a, a good podcast all by itself but I guess talking about the tools, what you used, and I guess I, I come across, I made an assumption actually recently on Friday that everybody knew what Kanban was, and that you know when they're talking about <laughs> no, they Trello don't. and talking about <laughs> Trello and stuff and and how to do it easier and actually yeah. free and and I had so many heads heads who were like what what's Kanban, um, what's Kanban? yeah <laughs> what's Scrum yeah <laughs> I mean do you fancy giving it a, a whistle stop tour of what Kanban is and and yeah the tools what you used I guess. Yeah, sure. So I think, I mean, I would even go so far as to say what is Agile, if I, if I can even go back to that stage, because when I was talking to people a couple of years ago, particularly people in HR, Agile also meant things like flexible working um, and, and meant kind of efficiency workflows. You know, it was Agile with a little a. Um, and I used to have to kind of clarify up front that I'm kind of talking about Agile, the noun, uh, which obviously was born in sort of software development um, back in, I think it was 1989. Um, and that within that, you then have um, many, many uh, kind of methods or um, philosophies that bring Agile to life. Um, and Scrum is one of them. It's probably the, the most common one. Um, it's one that is much more structured. Uh, it, the rules are very clear. The roles are very clear. Uh, it's all about time box sprints. Uh, it's about release backlogs. Uh, it's about planning, stand-ups, uh, retrospectives, showcases. Uh, you know, they have a, there's a really um, like rich kind of science behind it. Um, and from a psychology perspective, I find Scrum really fascinating because I really think it's built on. Um, a lot of the 
a lot of an understanding of high-performing teams. If you look beneath the bonnet of Scrum, you, you really do see um, how to create a high-performing team. Um, but Kanban is another sort of version of Agile, but it's to do with um, workflow. And actually, you have a kind of to-do, a doing and a done. Um, the team decides kind of what they're moving in from and to uh, in those columns, and they put sort of certain limits in place. So you may not be able to have more than two or three things in doing um, to get people really focused and not multitasking. And also, if if one of those things isn't moving because it's blocked for a reason, then you've got to get everyone focused on why it's blocked. Um, and so Kanban is a, is a bit more flexible, um, really good for kind of mature teams that kind of know what they're doing. Um, and in fact, you can use Kanban yourself. Uh, it's, a, it's a great way to kind of plan a wedding or a birthday party or <laughs> uh, anything, anything like that. Um, but it's definitely more like a, of a workflow um, method. Yeah, I, I agree. So I use Kanban to manage my workload, um, personally. Um, yeah. Just, just because, simply as like what you mentioned there, I put the limitations above the, the actual the list, so to speak, and I know that yeah. it kind of just it keeps me accountable and keeps it keeps things moving. I guess. There's yeah. No, there's no stalling. Yeah. There's no choke points. Well, it just also makes it visible, right? I think the big thing that tools like Trello do, and if you're working inside a corporate, you probably have Office 365, and there is a much less sexier version called Planner. Um, but it, do, it it is functionally the same, and it's about putting all the work visibly on the board, ordering it, prioritising it, and then moving it through to get it to done. Um, and your goal is to get stuff to done. Um, so, I mean, I use it, I'm studying at the moment externally and I use Trello as a student uh, to kind of know what's, what's due when, where am I at, what do I need to do? Um, so it is a really good visual management tool. So, so how have you, because obviously from, from discussions and, and obviously the, the stock and what I do on you, um, how, how do you apply this when it's, when the team's kind of remote? So I guess. I mean, I might be making assumptions, so do tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming some of your team are remote workers and they're dotted all over the show. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, that's right. Um, actually, uh, 20% of my team are not based in Sky HQ, which is in Ostley in London. Um, I've got uh, 20% of my team that are mostly based in Scotland, but then not even in the same kind of office location. Um, and the, the big thing that makes that possible uh, is technology. So we started off uh, back in the day uh, using Slack and Trello and then quickly came up against the IT um, firewall uh, and data protection and all of that good stuff. And we just decided not to complain about it and go, look, we've got Office 365. It's available for free. Um, it's not as sexy, um, but it's totally functional. And it means that we can uh, connect people together, use the chat, um, move tasks, um, have video, you know, pretty good quality video calls, certainly much better than Skype. Um, and my team spend, you know, uh, they're very, very fluent and skilled at video calls. Um, so you'll see my team on video calls a, a lot. Cool, cool. So, so I think I'm glad we've got the Agile thing out of the way because I think you guys are doing <laughs> way more than just Agile. Now I, I want to get into that a little bit, but. But I want my guys to know a little bit about you, I guess, Tracy. So I think, you know, take these questions wherever you like. If you, you want to jump in deep with them, feel free. But if you want to keep them light touch, that's fine as well. Um, when we go for jobs and, you know, we apply for apply for kind of the, the next role, what you want, 
We're always kind of told in the back of our minds, show the best self and talk about how all the great things you did in life and in your in your professional life. But I think one of the best questions probably to ask is, actually, if I was to ask you to create your failure CV or resume, what would what would yours look like? What's the one thing what jumps out to you if you was to create your failure resume? What's one thing what what was a failure? Maybe maybe it was a failure instantly, and then later on down the line it became a, a really good positive. But yeah, what what jumps out to you? There's probably quite. I mean, uh, there's probably quite a few things. I think um, I'm definitely not someone that um, sees failure as a negative. Um, maybe that's uh, it's a psychology thing. Maybe it's an L and D thing. Um, but if life has gone really smoothly and everything's gone to plan, then either you haven't really pushed yourself hard enough, uh, or you've really um, you've really just been operating in a, a, a bubble. <laughs> um, because obviously the, the best learning experiences are those that in some respects might be quite traumatic um, or really regretful. Um, I mean, one, one really easy one that comes to mind is when I was working with Steve Drosser, um, you know, I worked with him for 18 months and I could have worked with him for longer, but um, I chose to come to London at that point in time. And I regret actually not finding a way to spend more time learning from him I think I could have uh, been a better probably a better person as well as a better HR professional if I had done that um, I've got I've got learnings where I've been a bit gung-ho and a bit kind of just um, one of my nicknames is the trace train uh, which is where you know I kind of just get an idea in my mind and I believe in it passionately and I set my engines on it and any anything or anyone who gets in the way <laughs> just gets wiped out um, and there, there have been times where I've let that part of me kind of take off and it almost inevitably ends in some form of carnage um, you know, I've uh, like blown up bridges in terms of relationships and kind of had to repair them. And, and I'm not always right. I think the thing that I've learned in my you know, many, many years on this planet is that um, it is better. What's, there's a real cliche of um, if you want to get something fast, do it yourself. Um, but if you want to do it well, do it with others um, or a version like that. And I've definitely learned the hard way to take people with you, listen, try to prove yourself wrong, um, be much more open to, um, to, to different perspectives. Um, so that's something I've really taken with me. And I'm sure my many managers would, would um, attest to that as, as good, good learning, no. <laughs> good development. <laughs> um, and the fact is I don't work in the NHS, right? So I've never killed anybody nobody's ever died uh because of the work that i do um and there are some people out there who are doing life and death jobs um so i always also try not to take myself too seriously um you know we are not the nhs i'm not a doctor or a firefighter um i'm I, i'm an hr professional who wants to help uh people have a better experience of work um so just you know just remember that's a great opportunity and it's a privilege to have that kind of job but um, don't forget that that people have much more important jobs to do. Um, so I just I try to give a bit of perspective. Actually, I think uh, a little bit of humility goes a very, very, very long way. 
Yeah, definitely. I'd agree. I'd agree. So what's the one thing what what not many people know about you? What's a quirk what you have? Or yeah, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Maybe on the side you have some weird hobby or I don't know. What's the one thing what, what not many people know about you? Um, I can say the alphabet backwards in less than five seconds. It's a, that's something that's a good party trick. Right. I can demonstrate that for you if you like, Danny. Go for it. <clears throat> okay, ready? <clears throat> yep. Ready? Are you ready? Yep. You ready? Okay. <clears throat> Z-Y-X-W-V-U-T-S-I-Q-P-O-N-M-L-K-J-I-H-G-F-E-D-C-B-A. Wow. <laughs> I might have actually been less than three seconds, <laughs> you know, because why develop other skills when you can obviously save the world? <laughs> wow. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, uh, most people don't know about me. It's not particularly quirky, but it's one of those. So when I was back in high school, um, they still had a subject called secretarial studies. Can you believe it? Um, and my mum insisted that I do this subject and was basically learning to touch type. Um, and, and if you can kind of picture a room full of typewriters, we were all in there three or four times a week learning ASDF, semicolon, LKJ, <laughs> and all of the, all the things that went through. And I, I cursed my mom many times, but I basically did it for um, four years. Um, and as a result, I can actually touch type very fast and my first job in London um, back in 2000 I came over really no qualifications because remember I had a master's degree in clinical child psychology specializing in obsessive compulsive disorder and I didn't <laughs> want to work in anywhere near it so I went to some office jobs I thought I would just kind of you know get whatever and I walked into this um, recruitment agency on um, Oxford Street and walked in and they looked at my CV and they gave me one of those looks where they you, know, you could just see they were just missing you. And they sent me into this other room to do um, a typing test uh, and, and um, a, a like Microsoft uh, like Word, Excel kind of test. And of course, I absolutely nailed it. And the next day I was earning, I think, twice the hourly rate that I had expected to kind of earn because the pace at which I could type, they could charge me out at uh, these really high rates. So I had to, at that point, thank my mum uh, for, for cursing me with four years of secretarial studies <laughs> at, at work at the school. <laughs> Thanks, mum. See, it's a given. It's a given. Parents always know best. It's just how it is. <laughs> She has been proven right on many, many things, but let's not go too much into that in case she listens to this. Fair enough, fair enough. So, so if I was to, um, if I was to ask you, if you used to give a gift of a book to five people, and this book could be maybe something what's kind of changed your perception on things, or let's even go deeper and changed your life, but you wanted to give this book to five people and they had to read it, what book would you give them? <clears throat> One of the books that was a bit of a was a game changer. It was a couple actually. Um, one book is *The Alchemist* by um, Paul Coelho, um, which is written like a kind of parable. Um, don't know if you've read it. Uh, there'll probably be many people that have, um, and it's it's a parable about. Um, people basically making choices in their life uh, and taking responsibility for the consequences and then realizing that they can choose um, uh, make a different choice if they want to and I read that when I was um, about 25 um, and as a result 
I made a lot of big changes in my life. I quit my job. I ended my relationship uh, at the time um, and kind of embarked uh, on a, a really different path. So that one was quite significant for me. Um, I've always been, um, I've always aspired to be someone who speaks the truth, even if it's difficult. Um, I'm probably 50-50 uh, on that still. It's, it feels like it's a lifelong um, mission. Um, but Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott uh, was really pivotal for me for that. Um, and it's quite American, but she's just, she just has a way of describing it. And I think um, there's another more recent one called, is it Real Conversations? Um, anyway, it's, that is something, having a high degree of care for the person you're speaking to, but at the same time, a high degree of truth um, is something that I think the world could do more with. Um, and uh, obviously the one that changed my life three years ago was Scrum by Jeff Sutherland. Uh, so that just made me um, completely change the way that I saw work and team. Um, and, and that was where we started our journey um, three years ago. Cool, cool. I think I think it was in that book. Is, is that the one where he uses a case study of the FBI? Is that? Yes. Yes. That, yes. that story was crazy. So, yeah. I don't want to spoil that, though, because people should go out and read it, right? <laughs> You'll just have to read it, folks. <laughs> so so I guess if I, I want to kind of take you back a little bit back to your childhood. And, yeah, can you remember, and I say childhood, maybe it isn't your childhood, but can you remember the first time you ever got in trouble? <laughs> oh, well, there are two instances that immediately come to mind. One is where despite, I must have been five, um, and despite my my best friend, Gemma, and we are still best friends, um, we've kind of known each other as long as we've both been on the planet, um, we uh, have been told repeatedly not to ride our bikes around the block. Um, but I led a rebellion and um, we drove around the block, rode around the block, um, and my mum wasn't home at the time, so I never found out, but, but uh, Gemma got properly uh, busted. Uh, so, and I got busted as a result um, of that. So that was, that was quite memorable. And Gemma still talks about that, by the way, still talks about <laughs> how I got her her first telling off. Uh, but she was such a good child. Um, there's another one where I, I can still remember um, finding a razor blade in the bin and deciding I would shave my legs when I was seven mm. and managed to massacre, massacre my shins. Um, and anyone who shaved their legs will know that, that is hideous. And then I lied about it uh, and said I just scratched myself and then I got in trouble for that as well. So I've got, it started at a very early age, Danny, just generally <laughs> not following the rules. <laughs> but I was actually a very good, I loved school I loved school um I loved learning um I just found I found um school uh, was a real delight for me my first my undergraduate degree at uni are probably some of the happiest years of my life um I just love I love learning things I don't know cool cool I think the rebel in you is definitely something it's interesting I think it's something what you kind of born with this crazy Let's just see how much we can bend these rules and get away with. And yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm not Elon Musk. Like, don't get me wrong, but uh, <laughs> but I, I'm I don't I, I wouldn't consider myself very compliant. Um, 
very often. <laughs> that's good. That's better. Good stuff happens. Definitely. <laughs> so if I was to ask you to explain to a five-year-old what it is you do, how would you do that? So there are different ways I can answer that question, but I tend to say to five-year-olds, I'm, I'm like a teacher for grown-ups. Um, that is the simplest, simplest way that I can describe my job. Um, and, and most kids can then picture, you know, in a classroom with their favourite kind of, um, with their favourite teacher um, helping them to, to learn. So, so that is my usual answer to the very young kids. Cool. Cool. I think that's a great, that's a great wrap up, <laughs> definitely. So I guess kind of going into learning then a little bit more. And obviously you're kind of ahead of a curve. I think, you know, I personally think you're ahead of a curve in what you're doing and stuff. Um, but kind of, yeah, maybe maybe you could share what you're up to right now. What's the stuff you're looking at right now as a as a function, I guess. There's a couple of, couple of questions where I'm probably going to branch off with that. But yeah, let's start with that one. So at the moment, um, so my role at Sky has kind of just evolved. Um, the title is Director of People Experience, um, which has a great acronym, the DOPE. Um, so, <laughs> I, which I quite, which I quite like. Um, and that that is, I think, demonstrating what what Sky is kind of seeing for the future of, of employee experience, which is how do we um, stop or continue to stop producing single things that solve single problems uh, for single groups of people? And how do we start to think about the employee journey, you know, as an experience? Um, and you can almost then map um segments of employees in different locations who are at different points in their career along different uh, experience journey maps and where are the pain points where do we really want to be famous for delighting people you know you don't want to be you can't do it for everything so what are the things that you really want to be brilliantly brilliant at in terms of people just feeling and the key word is feeling you know feeling like uh, that experience that they had at Sky when they worked there or while they're working there was just the most amazing thing that they ever had. Um, and so that's kind of just, I'm just at the beginning of that, like being able to kind of piece together the different parts of uh, the employee experience at Sky and then um, looking to start to choose or, or prioritise what are those things that we want to be brilliant at. Cool. I think, I think it's vital this thing of kind of focusing on experience first now because i mean when you when you if you was to let's just call this cycle a line if you used to if you used to flatten that that employee cycle out it's just a consistent flow of experiences some negative some positive and 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 you're right you can't have these peak moments without real low dips you know dip peaks can't exist without dips in moments and it's about kind of bringing mm -hmm. them dips up so over don't feel as, as kind of negative but actually pulling out, you know, I think I, I did a post recently and I was saying about, it's like a bit like an ECG and you have to go, right, where's these things, what can where's these moments, what can turn to real high peaks in that experience? So it, it's interesting to kind of understand. It's interesting to know that that's kind of the, the, the approach guys going, kind of this experience first. So I guess, I mean, it's kudos to you, right, as well. Hey, sorry we interrupted your podcast, but we just wanted to let you know about Vendely where finding learning has developed. 
At Vendorly, we understand the pain points of looking for reliable vendors and securing new clients. We've created a platform to help you with this, save you time and help you flourish. We want you to be the first to see it. So head over to vendorly.co.uk and take a peek. That's Vendorly with a double N. The fact that you, your, your role is constantly developing and obviously Sky obviously realise they've got a bit of a unicorn with you as well, which is always a good thing. <laughs> Steady on, Danny. Steady on. <laughs> it's, it's, I think. I think it's. But fair. I think. But I. But I think the the thing that um, I've really kind of dived into this last year is you know human centered design and design thinking. So if anybody's listening and that, and those phrases are not familiar to them, then I would recommend you rapidly go and Google uh, and kind of find out a bit more. Um, IDEO kind of leads the way on this. They've been, um, you know, the D school at Stanford, um, but it's becoming more and more just a bit like Agile. Agile's been around for, you know, 20 plus years. Design thinking's been around for longer, um, but people are just discovering them now. And that's fine, right? Because it's the right time for these kind of approaches, these philosophies and the methods that go with them to kind of uh, emerge right now because technology and HR are blending uh, rapidly. Um, and so I think if we as kind of HR professionals, or, or that's you know, for the group that I kind of um, identify with, if we're not thinking about that kind of merging where technology and HR are becoming more seamless for people, um, then we're going to miss the opportunity to kind of almost create a new function, which for me is kind of people experience or employee experience. Um, so we're kind of embracing the fear, like feel the fear of technology uh, and, and do it anyway. Um, but actually, for me, design thinking and human-centered design are ways for people to, I guess, you, you know, face the fear and know what to do about it um, uh, because they give some really um, game-changing kind of ways of thinking, ways of approaching um, how you solve problems differently when your priority is the employee experience. Um, so I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer uh, in in both design thinking for problem finding and agile for problem solving. Nice, I like that. I think a couple of things which I'm which I'm kind of looking at at the moment is not design thinking anymore. Um, I'm kind of looking at this design as thinking, and I think they're two very separate things. Especially when I look at the kind of the clients what I've been working with at the moment, because I think a lot of people have we see it all the time, right? This this term gets watered down because it gets doesn't really get applied as as a rigor as what it's meant to have so then i think what what a lot of clients come out with is a is ideation sessions more than anything like yeah brainstorming yeah, yeah. you've kind yeah. of missed yeah. the trick there um I, I agree i agree i mean I, I i can't um stress the the simplest value you can get from actually talking with individual employees now i mean people might go oh that's ridiculous i work for a company that has you know 5000 25000 125000 employees but if you're really smart about it then you you need to speak to a very small number of employees provided you've either, either chosen them because they're an extreme group you know they're very 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 unhappy or very 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 happy uh, or they're in particular um, roles or tenures or whatever it is that you think will kind of tease that out. Um, and what you find is after you've done, you've spoken to maybe 
five or six or seven people, themes start to emerge. Um, and uh, it, it's really understanding what those themes are that, that give you such rich insight. Um, and so I think people go straight to ideation, but actually ideation is almost the last step. Um, you've really got to, um, you've got, it's, it's about like really truly understanding the problem, understanding the pain what is it that people are finding frustrating or what is delighting them and it's and it's actually those extreme emotion like you've got to almost go what's the most extreme emotional word that I could use to describe this experience and I'm going to go and find people that would use those words to describe this experience and I'm going to talk to them um, and then what they tell you is incredible you know and and you would have designed completely the wrong solution if you would come at it from an HR-centred perspective rather than a human-centred perspective. Um, and so I'm just, uh, again, a, a massive convert to spending more time understanding the problem than on producing a solution that might be wasted. Exactly. I think I think if you don't care about the people's problems at the start, they're not going to care about your solution at the end. Um, exactly. Well said. Well said. <laughs> well said and I, I think it, i think it's interesting right without kind of going too much into this i guess I, i've the empathy piece right at the start of if you if you're applying kind of this design thinking is vital and i remember once i was with a client and they made this giant assumption that this is everything what the business wanted so naturally i was like right well let me reach out to your audience let me sit in with them let me interview them. let me watch what they're doing the usual flying the wall interviewing kind of shadowing and actually, it was a complete opposite. And when you sat down with him, you said, actually, what is your pain point? It, it couldn't be any further away from where the business thought it was. And it comes down to that thing of, it's a, it, if you do empathy right at the start, right, it's, it's, a, it's a massive saving for the business as well. You might not feel it at the start, but it really is at the end. Yeah, and actually, the thing that... Um... So remember, I mean, I mentioned about how one of the reasons or like the problems, and it was our pain point, it was my pain point, was this thing about opinions. You know, everyone wants to be a kind of quasi L&D expert or a quasi HR professional. Um, and, you know, you've got all the hippos, the highly paid people's opinions. Um, and the, the, the way that I have found not to beat them like it's not like I'm trying to prove myself to be right or prove them wrong but the way to actually have a really sensible conversation with people who at the end of the day are very busy but also genuinely usually want to make a difference and want to make things better um, is to give them data you know and the data can come from interviews the data can come from your kind of hr systems but if you kind of sit down with them and go this is what the, this is the data that we've got this is what people are telling us we we spoke to what my team recently just um were looking at career um what that means to people what are the pain points and i spoke to 25 people and the richness from that the data that comes out of that the conversations i can then have with senior leaders uh, just it's a game changer it's a, it's a complete game changer because you're no longer my opinion versus your opinion, your seniority versus my seniority. It's let me tell you the story about what people told us. Let me share with you the themes and the insight that we gathered from talking to people. And now you're actually having a conversation about that. Um, and it, it's, a, it's a much richer conversation to have. Nice. Nice to put. Nice to put. So I guess kind of, 
when we look at L&D and, and kind of stepping out of kind of your argument at the moment, Tracy, but as a whole, what what do you think, and, you know, we've already mentioned is, is L&D is full of people with opinions, and I think that can be good and bad at some times and whatever else, but what do you think L&D's problem is right now as a whole, as an industry? Or do you even think it's got a problem? That's, you know, without waiting the question. Oh, yeah, yes, I do think L&D has, has a problem. Um, I think in part it is um, not entirely theirs, um, but they definitely have a role to play in kind of fixing it. Um, I, I think there has been a lot, like decades of training being seen as the answer to everything um, and the business seeing L&D as the order taker for training requirements. Um, and L&D filling its role um, by responding to that. And then it became virtual training and e-training and um, they're all different types of, of training. Um, but I think the role of L&D needs to move beyond training in, in all of its guises. Um, and that's hard, that's hard to do if you've built an entire career on, um, on designing or uh, delivering um, training. The thing that uh, I... The, the other problem that I think L&D has is it, it hasn't been rigorous enough on data. Um, and happy sheets and attendance sheets are not data. Um, and that, you know what we've been talking about here is is more data. What what is the problem? I really I'm going to help you really understand the problem, and I'm going to bring you back information that is going to surprise you. Um, and we're going to have a very different type of conversation, and you're going to see me as adding value in a way that you've never seen before. Um, so it's had a, it's had a real problem with with not having the data to show that there is either a better way or that the problem they think they're trying to solve is, is actually not the problem. Um, and I think there's also a, just not enough um, employee-centeredness, too much kind of HR-centeredness. What's the latest HR or L&D tool or solution? What's, what's in my world, in my universe that excites me and therefore that I want to actually impose on everybody else? And I think they'll absolutely love it. Um, and actually when what you realize is people are super busy, completely overwhelmed and another system or another way of doing something is, is actually more of a burden than it is um, a, a, a kind of a saving grace. So those would be my, my three. Yeah, I, I think that third one's really important actually. Um, recently I did a talk and I was talking about actually your, your tech, if not, you know, a lot of times we, we we kind of bring this legacy system with us and the fact that we have these two different mindsets, right? We have our personal tech experience and then our work tech experience. And mm. it's just crazy that them two are still two separate things. And then yeah. it, a prime example is today, kind of the expenses system what I use for, for my <laughs> all my days. I can't even tell you. I can't even tell you. It's like I lost like two hours of my life. And I'm like, how is this so hard? 
but it is that. I know, but it's actually, but but I think in part because um, productivity, human productivity, which in some respects is from a from the the human perspective, please don't make me do something that is so painful um, when I know that on my phone I could have done done something simple uh, similar using this app uh, and got the same result. Uh, that kind of that kind of um, almost like dissonance you know, of, of why, why is it so hard at work when I know that it can be so easy um, as soon as I leave. Um, I think that's where employee experience is going, where employee experience is not about HR. It's not the employee, the employee experience is not owned by HR. It's, it's owned by technology, by finance, by internal comms, by property or facilities management, by HR. It, and I think uh, what I would like to see in the future is that there is a kind of joining up of those functions um, rather than them being kind of siloed under completely different um, like uh, legacy functions um, in a business. Hell yes, that is fundamentally what should hell, happen. Hell yes, hashtag. <laughs> it's um, it's really interesting. I think this employee experience. I think a lot of people kind of see that as being this static thing, and actually, it ebbs and flows with a business, right? And how the org moves, that's how the experience should move. It, it's not a static thing, and people have to fit within that square box. It's adaptable. It moves and it changes depending on the interactions of that actor within that experience. Um, but it's. Yeah, I think yeah, this. Recently, I kind of put a, a post out there saying what I think the future of, of these teams should be. And I found it really interesting. Not necessarily the comments what I got back because there weren't many, but it was interesting on how many, how many people looked at that and engaged with it, but then didn't comment on it. And it was, it was interesting to see how many people kind of sat on the fence with that. And I think that's where people like you are really, you know, really useful to our industry because, like you say, you'll go with something and you'll, you'll try it, you'll fail, or you'll try and succeed. And it's, I think the problem is the people who sit on the fence with it and it's it's a stall or a bottleneck yeah. maybe. Well, I think also the um, it's getting started, I think. You know, it can feel quite overwhelming if you're already doing a full-time job and, and that's already full. And then you you really want to try something different. You really want to try something experimental but the effort that it would take to actually convince enough people that it's worth giving it a go. I think a lot of people just go, oh, I'm <laughs> like I've got, I've got too much to do anyway. And so I'd love to find a way that, um, you know, for me, if you're in L&D, um, then that idea of what have you learnt in the last, you know, really stretched yourself on and learnt in the last year and, and felt like you've developed as a result of, you know, what we're talking about here could be one of those things. And if I haven't done something like that in the last year, then I've just got another year of the same experience, right? Um, and I think for me, I was in a fortunate position where I had the opportunity uh, to, to do something quite radical um, and, and kind of jumped, jumped at, the, at the opportunity. Um, but... I can see like, you know, when I talk to people and I talk about what we've done, I can see them generally going, wow, like I want to do that. You know, I, I that to me sounds 
um, more sensible than what I'm doing now. Um, but then you go back to your, you know, your workplace where all the systems and the routines and the symbols are the same um, and working out how you're going to break that, uh, I think is just quite overwhelming for people. Um, so I'm not quite sure what is going to be the, I guess, the pivot point for, for our industry when we'll look back and go, can you believe we used to do it? You know, like X, Y, Z and, and the way that um, design thinking and human centered design and agile just is, is completely normal like it is today in kind of tech in the, you know, the land of tech and also the way that social media is now much more central to marketing than it was 10 years ago. You know, where, where are we going to kind of make that switch um, from the way that we've always done, um, for example, L&D uh, into uh, the, new, the new way? Cool. So I'm glad you brought up social media because this this is a very nice <laughs> subtle move over to my next question. Segway gift. Yeah. It's like it's like we pond that there. It's amazing. So obviously social media. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, I think you, Sky have a good medium site where you've, you've kind of logged everything about agile and stuff. And anyone who hasn't seen that should I highly recommend you go and read that. But this is more about social media as a presence. And I guess first of all, do you see social media as a net positive or a net negative to society <laughs> oh um i think mostly um it leans towards net positive um but it feels like at any moment it could tip the other way um I think there's at the moment enough kind of sensible people in the world who use social media for I guess the reason it was created which is to connect um and share and do that in a way that mostly um looks to make the world a better place um but there is of course like any any part of the world um people that that misuse it and abuse it um and unfortunately um it's so new to us as human beings that we don't yet know what it's doing or how to um not control it but just how to help shape it be more of a force for good okay okay so same question in a way um what's your take on L&D's presence within on social media I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I normally associate L and D with a presence <laughs> on social media. Um, there are the obvious people that are in my circle uh, who I know about, like podcasts like yourself, David James, Nick Chapman Jones, um, people who are kind of um, banging the drum uh, around um, helping people realise that there is, uh, I guess, different choices for people to make uh, if they want to. Um, but I, I don't feel that L&D is um, really um, um, loud loud and proud on social media. Okay. Okay. That's nice. So I want to get a little bit into, about you. And this is quite a deep question. So take this wherever you want to go, Trace, with it. But, you know, we talk about social media and kind of the impacts are positive and negative it can have on society and on, on, on people individually. But kind of applies to do 
do you even like yourself? Do I even like myself? <laughs> On the whole, yes. Um, I, I definitely have moments where I am probably my harshest critic. I've, I take it really to heart um, if my team, uh, now I have a team of 30 people now um, across the whole kind of people experience um, landscape at Sky. And, you know, they're not backwards coming forwards. I'd like, like to create an environment where they can give me feedback. Um, that's how, you know, I do still hear stuff where I've said something or I've done something and been completely clueless about the impact it was having. And then they give you that feedback and it, it does, I've, I feel that really quite personally. Um, I look at other people. I try not to, but I definitely look at other people and see the things that they are really awesome at that I'm not yet uh, awesome at. Um, and I definitely allow myself to uh, wallow in sort of wishful thinking. <laughs> um, and then there are days where I'm just a terrible parent uh, and I know it uh, and I, I give myself a kind of um, good slap. Uh, but, I mean, I, I just think life's too short to spend too much time not enjoying it right and being too critical or too unhappy or any of the things that just rob you of of just happy time um you know it's it's just I lost my dad um 14 years ago and he was too young um and so it, but his gift from that point on has been just life is precious make the most of it and so I spend most of my time just focusing on the future and doing the best I can um and I really can't ask much more than myself of that beautiful beautiful put I think I think your mindset is 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 perfect for that it's it's easy right I guess to kind of like you say to kind of be trapped in your own mind and kind of look at all the things the negative or the, the the things what you might not be good at yet and I think um yeah it's nice to put that Tracer so I guess kind of coming out of that and then I want to see where where your head is with this one so let's imagine you've got a billboard and opposite this billboard like sky big yeah sky, sky billboard okay yep. yeah let's go with that one and opposite <laughs> opposite said billboard there's um arena full of a million people and a million people is going to leave this stadium and our arena and they they're going to see your billboard what what message would you put on there to shape a million people's minds? Oh my goodness, Danny. P.S. I use that in an interview question, by the way. <laughs> do you? Do you? I mean, it would obviously have to be listen to MindChimp, right? Um, that that would that would. <laughs> if I could, I just have to promote your podcast, and then people would obviously have a completely different experience of the world. Um, uh, That is, that is hard. I mean, I, so I can't, I, I, would, I would be struggling to give a really specific answer, but I, I do love anything that 
a kind of highlights choice um, to people. Um, there was a there's a what this is a really naff example, but <laughs> I used to love traveling. Uh, going to Heathrow because I thought HSBC used to do these really great ads where they would, you know, pick a word like attitude or pick a word like success. And then they would have three photos that represented what that word could mean to three completely different people. And I thought they did a really good job of just reminding people that success you know in London is completely different to success in perhaps a poorer uh, country in the world and just giving perspective um, so I think it would I'd be going for something really powerful um, that just showed people that that almost everything that they think and everything that they choose uh, is down to their their perspective on the world um, change your perspective, change the world. Nice. Nice. It's a good Hashtag MindChimp podcast. <laughs> I'll, um, I'll... Listen, listen today. Yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll pass you that money over later on, Tracy. Thanks for that. <laughs> no worries. So... Invoices in the mail. <laughs> so I guess kind of for anyone listening, and yeah, let's let's do these two. So I guess for anyone who's listening, Who's the five people, and maybe it's people who are new, up-and-comers, people who you respect, but who's the five people you recommend everybody should follow when coming into, let's call it a people experience, because I like that term, and that, and using that term to wrap up L&D, HR, and creating the people experience team, who do you reckon everyone should follow? Five people. Five people. Well, I've, put, I've mentioned some of you already, so I think, obviously yourself, Danny. Um, I think... David James, uh, Nick Shackleton-Jones are two people that I um, kind of regularly read um, and watch on and listen to on LinkedIn because uh, obviously that's where they post most of uh, what they do. Um, I, I, I don't then um, have people per se, but what tends to grab my attention is uh, where people are talking about um, uh, hum anything human-centred uh, design-related. And at the moment, you don't tend to get a lot of that from the HR space. You kind of have to uh, interpret it more from the, the kind of the product or the tech uh, space. So if I was on Flipboard, for example, I would, I would be following subjects that are to do with human-centred design, design thinking, employee experience. Um, and I find that those then serve me up uh, content that I wouldn't find otherwise uh, so that's I've, I've, I really like Flipboard um, for that reason that I can go after subjects rather than people okay okay cool so I guess kind of bringing this full circle now I guess but if if someone was new into the LMD space now and where it's going <laughs> yeah and, and I think fundamentally it's more important about where it's going what five yep. tips would you give to them? <laughs> five tips. Um, so, right, give me a second. Uh, okay, I'll hope for the fifth one will come. I think um, 
So if, if someone was coming into L&D now, so if you were to join my team now, and I've got some people who are quite new in their career in my team. Um, it's a big thing for me around uh, go and talk to, uh, learn from the technology and marketing functions. Um, those are the functions that have really transformed themselves in the last decade. Um, and, and they are the functions that are driving the world at the moment. Uh, so, so I think don't look for answers from within HR would be number one. Uh, number two, uh, I think, uh, unsurprisingly, learning more about um, design thinking for problem finding or human-centered design for problem finding and agile for uh, problem solving. Um, if you can early in your career not learn the traditional methods, uh, if you could possibly start your career by learning um, those methods um, and philosophies, then I think you're probably better set up for success in the future. I think um, to cultivate and develop the skill of empathy uh, is really, really key. Um, to, to be talking with people, to be observing them, um, obviously with, with, you know, um, with the right intentions, <laughs> to, to be um, really passionate about um, designing or creating uh, solutions that they will value, that they will thank you for, um, and to be really, really clear that that is what your job is about. Um, uh, I think at the moment, um, becoming really comfortable with data. I think data and, and, and analytics are a skill that will become like PC skills of the 90s. Uh, you know, we used to actually put on your CV, Danny, you may not have ever done this, but uh, to put on your CV, you know, Word, Intermediate, uh, Excel, Intermediate, Outlook, <laughs> Advanced, um, and you used to specify that were your PC skills. Um, I think data and analytics um, being able to, you know, it starts with spreadsheets, but obviously people are becoming more skilled in things like Tableau um, and, and being able to tell stories with data, I think is, um, is a skill that people should lean into now. Um, and it's hard for HR people, right? Because the reason they usually go into HR is because they love people and helping people and data feels the opposite of that, but actually data is what serves um, you helping people. Um, and I think the fifth one was, would be um, just to experiment, right? I think there is, there is no harm in having a hypothesis, um, building up a kind of MVP, something really like a minimum valuable product, something really basic, and then putting it in front of people and getting their feedback. Um, there is no harm in it. In fact, there's a lot to gain. And so developing this kind of mindset of experimentation um, and being a bit braver in, uh, in trying things, I think will set people up for a, a much more successful career. Awesome. Awesome. Sound advice. So I guess kind of at the start of the session, I, I asked you, you know, when, what, you know, what you wanted to be when you were um... When, you, when I grow up. When you grow up. <laughs> and obviously you of all people know we never really stop growing and we never really yeah. truly grow up. Um, so if I was to ask that question now, Tracy, what do you want to be when you grow up? What what would you say now? <laughs> I I guess another way to ask that, if I, if I could do my, my kind of from uni onwards all over again, <clears throat> um, 
I I would probably um, go into marketing, um, not because I'm necessarily passionate about um, you know selling things or people buying things, but because I find the psychology of marketing really fascinating, and I think marketing has become really sophisticated. Um, and in some cases, mostly for the power of good, but sometimes um, if you look at Facebook and so on, maybe less so. Um, but I would like to just take, I'll do a completely different career path and I just want to learn something like from scratch that still has a really strong psychology, um, like how people tick, you know, what really makes them um, make decisions, what really drives their behaviour. Um, and I'd like to learn a completely different way of, of actually um, positively impacting on that. Cool, cool. So I guess we've got two more questions and we are done. <gasps> I know. Go. Okay, next question. So um, I guess right at the start, I asked you to pick six numbers. Uh, yes. Okay, <laughs> now these six numbers tally up to... So I have to remember what they were. It's like a dementia test. What were those numbers? <laughs> Luckily, I've wrote them down. <laughs> Good. So you had number 16, which was a mm -hmm. shovel. You had number 44. Hang on. Shovel, yep. You had number 44, which was a pair of stockings. Stockings, okay. You had number 67, which was a hair tie, a bobble. Hair tie, okay. And the last one was um, 88, which was a lace, a shoelace. Uh, a, a shoelace, yeah. okay. Okay, you're on a desert island. What are you doing with these four <laughs> items? Well, the shovel's going to come in pretty handy, I uh, I suspect. Uh, I'll probably dig myself a shelter. Um, <laughs> and uh, then I think the other things I've chosen are quite handy because I could definitely use uh, the stocking as a kind of – because stockings are quite good when you use them as like a rope um, – not as a stocking okay. uh they're quite quite good uh the hair tie is also good for um well I probably, to be fair i always wear my hair up so i'll probably just use it in my hair uh and the shoelace is good like uh, again so i would dig myself a shelter and i would use the shoelace and the stockings to um create a kind of cover that uh, that means i can at least protect myself from the elements then maybe i don't know if i could use the the shoelace and the stocking for some kind of um trap that i could capture and i know what i could do is i could dig a hole set a trap so i can buy and you know, i not buy myself obviously but i kill myself some dinner i'd probably have to kill it by strangling it with the stocking um I I could so i think i'm going to be all right on the desert island with those four things to begin with anyway yeah i mean we instantly, we instantly went to like an 18 movie there where there was strangulation. <laughs> well, hey, if it comes down to survival, anything goes. Yeah, this is very true. This is true. <laughs> so, Tracy, where, where can um, where can people find you and keep up to date with what you're up to over at Sky and whatnot? Sure. So my team have been keeping a pretty amateur blog. Actually, it's been more for our own kind of reflection learning. Um, but on Medium, if you search for Agile in Learning, you'll find a kind of collection of stories that we have um, reflected on over the last three years. Um, a lot to do with our kind of beginnings in Agile and then more recently with design thinking. Uh, and I'm on LinkedIn um, under, I think if you search Tracy Waters Sky, there's only one of me. Um, so that should should lead you to me. Perfect. Well, Tracy, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on. 
It has, Danny. It was worth the wait. It was worth the wait. So yeah. thank you for being so patient. Um, and I forward, look forward to uh, listening to myself. Not. <laughs> Hopefully other people find it more enjoyable. I'm definitely sure they will. Thanks again, Josie. I appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Okay, bye. Bye-bye.